Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and I just want to take this first opportunity here to thank each and every one of you who reached out to me via text message, Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, wherever it may be, and uh, told us how great the episode with Temple Grandin was. Um, It was a very humbling and very unique experience I got to have interviewing Temple. Um, her mind is absolutely wonderful, and I'm so feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to speak with her last week. So if you didn't, if you miss this, this is if you this is your first episode with us, please go back and check that episode out. It was a really great and unique episode, and uh, some things I spoke to Temple about were things that um, I've always wanted to ask her, and it was a very unique opportunity. So really cool, really cool experience there. So today, today we have Beth Killo. Beth is heads up the Circle Up experience. She owns Take a Chance Ranch. And uh, this is another just wonderful conversation I got to have with someone who I found myself to have a whole lot in common with. Um, she is the head cowgirl owner of, of her business, of her, the Circle Up experience. And they kind of talk about how they use horses to kind of connect humans back to their more primitive nature. And I really feel like her and I uh, has, has had a really great energy when we spoke in this podcast together. We talk about our both of our history of alcohol use and how we were both be able to come back from that. Um, I've been sober over 10 years now. Beth says she's been sober over 17 years. And we kind of talk about our journeys with that and how it was difficult and how it's difficult for a lot of people to overcome their um use of alcohol. And I've spoken about this pretty recently, pretty freely, that that was my coping mechanism for my anxiety probably for for 10 years or so, because um, that was the best way I saw. And I felt that that was a well-accepted way to deal with my anxiety. But uh, obviously, I think what we know and what I know for sure now is that was not the case. And I was using it as a Band-Aid more more than it was an actual treatment. So uh, really great great conversation with Beth and I feel like she will definitely be back on the show. So really excited for you guys to hear this one. It's uh it's my longest episode to date, but I think you'll see why, because we get into some stuff that's pretty deep. And, uh, it was a really, really great chance for me to talk to someone who is doing some really great things. So, all right, here we go with my episode with Beth Killo. All right. Beth, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Yes, really excited. Uh, we had a last week. We really had a really meaningful phone call, and like really, like really made me kind of do some self reflection a lot that evening. And so, like, I was just I was so excited to to get you on and talk to you about the things that you're doing. I think, I think you're doing some really great things and you know, your, your personal, your personal story too, just really kind of touched me too. And I think that's where we found some, definitely found some common ground. So I'm excited to talk about that with you. 
I feel the same. I'm really excited about all the places that our stories cross over. And I do have a habit of igniting self-reflection in other people. That's kind of my secret sauce. So Well, that's good. I mean, it works <laughs> it works really well with what you do. I mean Yeah. Right. You know, so like that's uh that's a that's a kind of a good tool to have. It is, yeah. So so I want you to introduce yourself. Introduce, you know, kind of what you do, kind of your background sure. and where you've kind of come up with what you're doing now. Okay. So I um, am a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. I've done that work for 17 years. I have always been a seeker. Before becoming a therapist, I was teaching poetry. That was my, mm. pre- my first career and um, writing. And so I've always been interested in emotions and people. And, and I've also had this parallel existence as a cowgirl mm-hmm. and very into animals my whole life training dogs for sheep herding and doing a lot of work with horses and so i those two paths kind of ran parallel as if never the two shall meet and now looking at it with that beautiful perspective we have you know looking back at things in reflection, I can see that those paths were coming together. It just took Mm. a while. Mm -hmm. And so now what I do is um, I left my traditional therapy office. I actually had a dream as I was starting to transition out of a, a like traditional way of seeing people for counseling. I had this dream that I had, I I pulled up at my office, which was, you know, really lovely professional office um, with a trailer full of horses and my office building had these stairs and I pulled up in with my trailer and I parked and then I started unloading horses and I'm like how am I going to get them up the stairs and I'm and I thought to myself in the dream I can't work in there and that was it I woke up and I had already been transitioning to working from my ranch and Mm -hmm incorporating my animals. They, my dogs have always been with me for work. So when I was teaching, they were in the classroom with me as a therapist, they were always in the office. And I kind of started doing that before it was popular to have emotional support animals. So right. there wasn't even like really certification at the time that I started doing that. And, but border collies are amazing intuitives and they've just been great partners and helping people. So so right around the time that I had that dream, I realized I really needed to stand my ground with what I believed in. And I, I had stopped believing in, I had started seeing the limits of some of our traditional mental health models. And I grew up professionally in a very medical model, but I had this other part of me that was much more creative and organic. And I learned so much about myself and my own process from nature and animals. And it really wasn't, it didn't fit into modern psychology. So that's, so now what I do is I work with people, individuals, couples, families, groups, but I do a lot of leadership and culture consultation with work, work groups as well, and corporations, big culture change projects, and everything that I do starts with experiences at the ranch with me and my animals. 
It's very cool. And we, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Chris Miner, who's up in South Dakota, who's, I feel is doing something really similar to what you're doing. And, you know, we talked about the power of horses and how they can, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but how they can, you know, sense, sense things within humans and how they can be therapeutic. And I talked to her about how, I feel like I tell this story a lot, but how my dad used to have those same sort of before it was any anybody really even knew about these things on a wider scale. And he would tell me about the therapeutic effects of horses and, um, you know, to, to know that that is based in scientific fact is is really just really uh, self justifying. Uh, I, I, it's yeah. nice to know that that was not just anecdotal. That was real. Right. You know, you know, that's that's real life stuff. And I, I'm very I feel very good about that. Yeah, you are. You're in the Bay Area, correct? Uh, I'm San in Francisco. the Bay Area. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, so, so I'm about 25 miles south of San Jose. So I'm in Silicon Valley. Actually, our town is considered the last, the furthest south small town of Silicon Valley. Okay, so wow. So you like that's a world that I'm just totally not familiar with because you know I'm in I'm in the very center of the country in Missouri, and um, so that. Uh, or did you grow up in the, you didn't grow up in that area, correct? No, I grew up in Michigan. And then I was in Arizona for about seven years doing undergrad and then my first grad degree in poetry. And um, then I moved to the Bay Area in 98. And um, it was right at the brink of it booming. Mm, so, okay. yeah. And I, you know, I moved here and explored the Bay Area on horseback. <laughs> So I had a very different Silicon Valley story. I was, you know, just riding around. It's a lot of open space here. So you wouldn't necessarily know it when, I mean, it's very different in 20 years. It's changed. Sure. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like lots of booming urban, you know, metropolises, they just start spreading. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, that's, that's that way a lot of places. So you mentioned you always had a, you always had that cowgirl part of you. Did you grow up on a ranch, on a farm? I grew up in a right on the outskirts of, so in the country, dirt roads, and I grew I actually grew up, my parents were kind of hippies. And so I grew oh, up okay. in a house called the Mushroom Manor. <laughs> and um, there was a flagpole in the front yard with psychedelic mushrooms on the flag. And um, you can use your imagination from like what, what it was like. It was very chaotic, uh-huh. but it was in the country and we did have animals. And then we had a property in Northern Michigan that was on a lake and in the woods and surrounded by farms. And then I, everything I did had to do with animals. That's all mm-hmm. I cared about. And yeah. I, I had a, I have a very, very clear memory of being in that mushroom manor with a lot of very confusing adult human stuff going on around me and having this awareness of like juxtaposing what the humans were doing and what the animals were doing and something was really off. And I remember like gravitating to the dogs and, and, and just always seeing that there was like something off and that the human piece did not make sense to me. And I, I felt like I was like a different species in, in the environment. And I, I, 
and it did not feel trustworthy. It was, as it turns out, not trustworthy because it was very chaotic. And I think a lot of our human systems are, Mm -hmm. but I, I was about four years old when I had that, that, that really. So, I mean, yeah, I was very young. Yeah. And I remember standing there and I had watched this dog interaction and I was watching this part. They happened to be like two things going on side by side. And I, I remember thinking this makes sense and this does not make sense and side by side. And I don't know where I fit in. Hmm. Okay. Well, that makes, I mean, so that's, that's really interesting because obviously your, your work with animals is, I mean, is well rooted. You see the world from that view almost. So, I mean, that's, I mean, naturally you would want to work with them. And then when you work in us, but, but when you go into, you know, I assume you took the, took the route that, you know, you go and you get a traditional career and, you know, and you chose psychology, you chose counseling therapy, but you always wanted to get back and hopefully get those two things together. And, you know, you never saw, but now you are, now you are on that spot. So tell me about the work that you do currently, because I, I I find it uh, just reading about you and talking to you previously, I find it super interesting and super intriguing in what you're doing. Sure. So you brought up the therapeutic nature of being with the horses mm-hmm. and how, and there is incredible science around just their heart presence and how much radiates from them and how, like what the impact that it has on our nervous systems. And, but I also think something else is going on. And this is really where my work begins with people. And it's a bit of a different framework. I actually believe that I do believe the animals are healing, but I also just by nature of being with them, but I think it's because it connects us to the human animal part of us. And so my work is about helping people wake up a part of ourselves that is this very accessible and completely intact mammal layer of our awareness that we're just not used to using. And I think that's what I was picking up on when I was a kid. And I actually think it's what kids pick up on. It's what, why kids and animals get along. It's why we love, we have these beautiful memories of nature when we're children and we're very like spiritually alive and awake and free um, because we haven't, we don't have all these layers Mm -hmm. of thought and intellect and judgment and um, injury And so my work with people begins with bringing them into a natural experience and as fast as possible, beginning to wake that up in them and trying to help them see that it's not, it is the horses that are helping them do that. And they hold us accountable to it, but that's actually something inside of them rather than something that is outside of them, like a horse or the experience it's actually something inside of them that we're accessing. So you, the way I hear this is you are trying to get man, woman, uh, human being in touch with what they were meant to be, with what they have been for millions of years, going back to, you know, going back forever. Um, you know, so I mean, I think cause I, the, the state we live in now, I mean, 
don't get me wrong. There's great things about modern way of living. Obviously, I mean, you and I are talking over a computer right now. I mean, right. it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> it's you know, magic. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but th- there are some things that truly humans aren't weren't bred to do. And there, some of the, some of the social things that have been Mm -hmm. kind of put in front of us, those aren't natural. Mm -hmm. So to get back to a more primitive, primal way of thinking and of our, uh, our intelligence, of our emotion, things that, you know, maybe just like simplifying it a little bit. I think that's kind of what, if, if I'm understanding you right, trying to mm-hmm. what your, uh, what your goal is. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more that the advances in how, what we've evolved to be able to do, like our level of innovation and intelligence is like, takes my breath away. Right. But I mean, you live in, I, you live in close I to live Silicon. In Silicon Valley. Yeah. I mean, it's, but, but if you look at what has happened, like if you interact and I mean, it's, it's such an amazing place to do this kind of work because people are so in their heads, but what they've left behind is this entire world of instinct and sensory experience that gives us loads of information all the time about our own needs, mm-hmm. about this whole phenomenon of pressure and how to use that as a signal system to adjust ourselves and this whole world of how to do relational feedback so that we can have trust and have you know relationships in groups that are actually more interdependent and so when we live in our heads we we're not picking up on any of those cues internally or externally and so being with a horse herd is amazing because they're constantly giving each other cues Mm-hmm. And they're they're radically committed to togetherness, right? And one thousand percent committed to self care, and so they're these amazing teachers. Like they don't question it; they just do it. And we have all those signal systems inside, but they're all drowned out by busyness and thinking and talking and yeah, they're so busy. So I mean, there's so, so many things going on, and it cl- yeah. like you said, it clouds that natural judgment that we were that we've evolved over millions of years to to kind of come into our own and that's really inner i mean it's if you think about it i mean what do we need you know we need shelter we need food we need um we need security but like so much of the other stuff is just that it's just stuff it's just noise Uh, if we want to get down to our actual um, what really makes us function, uh, when you can simple, simplify it as much as possible. And, you know, that's what I've been trying to do with my life so much. And it's helped me so much simplify my life and try to get rid of a lot of the noise. And I think we, I think we all, and obviously I should do probably even more, I mean, tons more, but, um, it's a good lesson in how we can kind of be preventative and in what is bothering us. Absolutely. So we're not, we don't want to be like leaving behind the noise that makes a difference in our lives and does sure, sure. amazing things with just integrating this part of us that we have kind of forgotten about and using that so that we, I mean, I, I think it's a bit of a superpower to capture that and be able to utilize that in our everyday lives. So 
it's not that all of us are going to live off the land and, you know, go to the sticks and return to the wild, but how do we, yeah, how do we access that wild and that nature that's within us and integrate it in whatever we're doing? You brought up the issue of like our needs and, Mm -hmm. you know, those basic needs. And one of, you know, one of the things we forget about is the need for physical and psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And in group, we need that as mm-hmm. we're herd animals. Right. And so when we're not attending to things like the, the basics of safety in our groups of feeling like we have secure relationships, we're actually ignoring a fundamental mm-hmm. need. Mm-hmm. So when we're not picking, like taking care of ourselves or taking care of ourselves in relationships, that psychological safety isn't there. And the mammal part of us is stressed out and working overtime trying to feel safe, which causes huge amounts of stress. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a wonderful way to put it. And I've never even, I don't think I've ever really even thought of humans as being herd animals, but I mean, (laughs) We are. We are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely we are. I mean, and that brings me, it may, brings me to the next point I want to talk about, and it's talking about horses and ho- how horses are prey animals. And, you know, why is that Why is that significant? I mean, Chris and I talked about this again a couple of weeks ago. We mm-hmm. touched on it, but I, I want to get your perspective on this. Like, why is that significant in how they're el- able to help humans get back to, um, you know, that more primitive what, uh, trying to just capture a little bit of that. Yeah, we're both prey and predator in terms right. of where we are on the food chain. And so, and it's actually really important because our instinct and our attention to what's going on inside and around us is impacted by where we are on the food chain. And so that prey animal part of us is still alive and well and reacting and responding to our environment horses, because they're prey animals, their, first of all, their commitment to living in a group is really important. And we've lost that. We, we don't think we need each other anymore. And (laughs) we, we really, there's a lot of ways that we can live with that myth. We can, we can totally walk around without needing anyone and limp along. It mm-hmm. has huge impact on our mental health, but sure. we can do it. Well, look at what and, we're going through right now. I mean, so right. many of us, you know, I mean, it's it's living proof of we need we need other people. We've never known it more than mm-hmm. right now. Right. And but the horses, um, if you if you watch what they do to take care of themselves again, like I was saying, this idea of like radical self-care, they Mm -hmm. always take care of themselves. And as a herd member, being taking care of themselves makes them available to be a herd member. It makes them available to help others. It makes them available to be able to detect danger, which is, or to be able to support each other. They are always aware of what's going on in their surroundings and they sense pressure or change inside themselves, in each other, and in their environment very acutely and incredibly sensitive to changes in pressure and, and just changes and shifts. 
and in energy. And I, I know I'm from California, so I have to be careful talking about energy because I don't want <laughs> to sound too woo here. But anytime, you know, when, when a branch falls, any mammal is going to have a shift in energy because of that noise. And because that branch had a shift in energy from the tree to the ground, it impacts us. And so we're, again, we're so busy and in our heads, we aren't as sensitive. So when we're around horses and we start to observe them and be with them and join their way of living, even for a day, we start to tune in on their level. The other thing is they give us feedback. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I, why I prefer other I prefer animals over human animals. Uh, I really do love humans, but they're I, yeah, I, I believe me, 100% <laughs> know what you're talking about. Like, I'm in they're, the same boat. They're always honest with their feedback and to each other and because their lives depend on it. And so they know where they stand. And we need that because it's how we learn. And so when something's off with us, we're so unaware of ourselves or how we're coming across, but the horses will show us. And the nice thing about working with prey animals is that they just leave. So when things feel off, it's not judged or labeled, but it feels like the pressure is off or things are incongruent. Like you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. That feels predatory to them because predators are kind of sneaky. Sure, right, yeah, and yeah. They just leave, they mm -hmm. just leave. And then when things, feel more cohesive and peaceful and start to, that pressure goes down, they, they come back and they're curious. So they model for us how to work with pressure and then also model for us what it really means to be authentic and honest because they will take nothing less. So all the work that I do with people, I do 90% of it with the horses loose and with people out in my fields with the herd as really much as okay I. okay yeah so with not trying to control movement or behavior because i want whatever naturally emerges to occur. okay okay so that's so that's different than a, like i've heard of a lot of people doing you know obviously a lot of people are are doing therapeutic riding or just uh, around mm -hmm. them in a in a pen or in a stall but what you're saying you're doing is they're in you're they're it's as natural as an interaction as as possible and they're just coming to one another out of a sense of trust yeah so we might go in you know when people arrive here one of the things i i won't let them do the chitter chatter and the social exchange and the niceties and the small talk and instead we do 20 to 30 minutes even if it's a group a corporate group executive groups and I send them off to take their animal body for a walk and just explore and notice what you notice. And it's called settling in. And people are like, I don't want to do that. That's really weird. And they go do it. And then they don't come back. <laughs> they're like, they're in tears. They're having all these amazing memories of times they felt that curiosity and that adventure and, and they're reconnecting to themselves. And then we go, go into the herd. And, and so it may just be like, why don't you pick a horse to go greet? Mm. And our stories start to come out. All those layers that we were talking about that get in the way of us being our true selves, all that stuff is there. And, and so that's where the coaching usually comes in is 
you know, or the therapy is how to help people move past that so that they can approach the horse and the horse can pick up on just that genuine human desire to connect. Um, and as soon as we remove those layers and let them go, the horse, the horses, they love connecting with us. They're, they're absolutely willing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes. I mean, this, this stuff is so cool. I just think that, I mean, to hear that, how you're talking about how that, you know, that natural interaction comes and, you know, we can help, I mean, the horses help, uh, excuse me, facilitate it, obviously, but we're coming to the, when, when we're doing the kind of work that you're talking about, we're doing that work ourselves and, you know, we are coming to grips with whatever because we are in our natural state and how, how valuable is that? I mean, that's, that's so lost I feel like and I I'm I can tell you it's I mean it's a hundred percent real uh, to I mean in whatever fashion whatever whatever method you get there to try and get more in tune with the more natural state that's when we really can kind of do some self-reflection and self-realization I think so yeah, yeah. I think it's um I I love how you put that that we're you're we're returning to a natural state mm-hmm. and what I love about the way you're phrasing it is that, and it's really is what I believe in is really, you know, it's, I imagine it like our lights are all dim around Mm -hmm. our natural state. And when we go and have these experiences with the animals and with each other, all those lights come back on, we're flipping Mm -hmm. the switches back on and it (laughs) brightens up this part of us. And so you start to see an aliveness and a vibrancy and, you know, it's like I can almost watch the color come back in people's faces as they light up. And um, that's an empowering piece. Like you, now you have that feeling and inside of you, like I didn't install it. The horses didn't, you know, do it for you. That's within you. So how do you keep that burning bright? How do you, how, how do you, where does it take you next? Yeah. How do you keep that alive? So that usually happens. I mean, honestly, people like arrive and that starts to happen just because we're creating a space and asking the question and putting it out there that you have something in you that's very powerful. And we need to be hearing that, that we have that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, I think we always, so, so many people when, and I, I can't say so many people tell us, but I think we get this notion in our head that if something's wrong with us, if something is off, if we suffer from depression, if we suffer from anxiety, that we are somehow broken and to to realize that, no, we're not necessarily broken. We just have to kind of reconnect the, reconnect the, the, the pathways there, trying to get back to where everything is flowing a little bit better and, uh, you know, seal some of those leaks up, you know, that's more like a restoration and rebalance. Yeah. 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 The medical model it breaks people, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. And I've trained in that and I worked in a psych hospital and I worked in a large healthcare system in a, in a psychiatric department. And I worked, my therapy practice was like a very traditional clinical practice. Mm-hmm. And, and then what I watch happen, I mean, I have that. It's like in my repertoire mm-hmm. to like that knowledge base. 
But when I bring this other piece to the table, I'm finding, you know, that I think about just this idea of pressure that we were talking about with like the branch falls and we have a reaction and pressure changes within us when something like that happens. And when we're walking around not taking care of ourselves, we're just holding pressure, pressure, pressure that then becomes tension. And then tension that's not attended to becomes stress, then it becomes pain, and then it goes either to numbness or explosion. And that's just the sequence of what happens with any pressure system. And so that's like, it, it basically describes the sequence of mental health or of mental illness rather. Like when we're not attending to these signals, so these mood signals are alert systems trying to tell us that something needs attention, but we're so used to not taking care of ourselves that we don't attend to them. And so, and then, you know, in the neuroscience, the rule is that a state becomes a trait. So you're in this physiological state long enough and it starts to settle into a trait. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way. And, but that makes a lot of sense. So that's yeah. really interesting to, to put it that way. Huh? One thing that, the one thing that you've been saying, you said this a couple of times and I, I've been talking about this a lot lately and that's self-care. And you talk about horses always, that's, that's very important to a horse's self-care is making sure needs are met. And I think that's a big problem with humans, with human animals, because they don't think those things are important because they've got other stuff to do. But right. when you really get down to it, that's the most important thing because that's what allows us to do all that other stuff, you know, oh, that yeah. we think matters. So, I mean, this podcast in particular talks to rural America, talks to more, even more particular people in agriculture. So, you know, I think that demographic of people is, it's very hard for them to realize that self-care is important. And th that's something that a lot of, a lot of us in my, the same space as I am in, in trying to get over that hump. Uh, that's one of the hardest thing to get like these, traditional farmer these middle-aged men to think you know hey i gotta take a break for a few minutes or a few hours or a few you know a day or two to get back to that because they we are so focused on production and numbers and what's at the end of this to not stop and realize that we can be more productive if we take a breath if we make our needs met you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a really a question generating out of that, but I just found it was really interesting that you talked about horses always putting self-care as a priority for them because it's a, it's, it's essential to their survival. Every single other animal group does. It's not just yeah, horses. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Like the dog needs to lie down and they lie down and they need to drink a water and they drink water and they're, they're. Um, natural they lay in the shade correct. when it's hot like you know i mean all these so things. the neocortex the part of our brain that makes thought and meaning um it has a glitch because it interferes with the rest of our signal system and tells us we don't need things that we need and i mean i'll i'll tell you a really funny story you can edit it out if you don't <laughs> but i remember probably about 15 years ago 
I think it was about 15, 12 years ago, it was 12 years ago, realizing that I had this habit of realizing I had to go to the bathroom and then saying, yeah, I'll just wait. And, and that, oh no, I, I'll just wait till later. I don't really need to. And like, I, I was like impressed with myself that I could go so long without going to the bathroom and like get other things done in the meantime. And and then I was, I was actually in like a recovery meeting, like a codependent recovery meeting. And somebody talked about this phenomenon and I like my jaw dropped. I'm like, this is a thing. This is like a thing that people do when they're not good at taking care of themselves. And then I started thinking about like, my body is literally sending me a signal. It's telling my brain to go to the bathroom. Right. And I am saying no. Right. Like what? Like one of the most natural yes. like things like that your body is telling you. It's, and, you know, simple as it can be. So, so even today, I will get that signal and like try to ignore it. And I'm like, no, Beth, you don't do that anymore. Like you need, you're thirsty, then get a drink of water. You need to stand up, stand up. Somebody's talking too loud, you know, step back or tell them to modulate. Like it's okay to allow the reality of life. And I, I think it, it's a brain glitch. We, we've got this, this part of our brain that can tell us that we don't need things that our body is actually telling us we need. And it's, it's just like any computer system. It's got a glitch. It's glitchy. I don't, right. and yeah. it's, and funny, like the, the things that we tell ourselves, I think the problem with self-care, that's like three episodes for us. If we're oh, fine. I know. But I know. <laughs> I think the problem with self-care is the term itself. Because it, we yeah. associate, like, when I hear that word, I imagine this lady with cucumbers on her eyes and a mask yeah, and of getting course. a manicure. Right. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people see or something. Yeah, similar. and I've never been that kind of person. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like, a, I'd much rather spend my time and money with my animals. So, mm -hmm. or doing something mm -hmm. in nature. And, and so I've tried to, like, flip the words a little bit and just talk about it as how, taking care of ourselves. And that mm -hmm. like every mammal, we take care of ourselves all day, every day. And when we do that, whatever, and listen to what our body says, um, whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, we actually do better. And we're not like messing with nature. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> like this is, we're, we're pretty perfect systems. We don't need to challenge that and tell like, and push ourselves to the brink and all of us, we know the consequences of that. So I think if we can look at like, what are the simple things that we can do? And sometimes it's just, I'm gonna change my pace to take better care of myself and just create a better, it's really simple. Like what if I just slow down a little bit so that sure. I can, or I just, if I take a break, it doesn't need to be a three hour lunch. It can be, I'm just gonna take a break in the shade for five minutes and just, right enjoy like this is my life right and right, if i'm right. doing something with another person and all we're doing is doing and we haven't stopped mm -hmm. to just enjoy the relationship and that like at the end of all my days am i gonna feel good that that's how i showed up in the world is that what what i'm supposed to be doing on this planet is just you know, a human producer of things because no one's going to remember me for that. They're going to remember me for, for the kinds of things I'm talking about, like how it felt to be with me and, and what it was, what lesson I may have taught or what story I shared or what good listener I was or 
that's what they're going to remember. So I think it's like, we've got to, it's more about how do we take care of ourselves? So there's room for our humanity. Yeah. I mean, this, like this stuff, what you're saying is like hitting super close to home right now, because, you know, they're for a long time, because I think we model things after how our dad did stuff. Mm -hmm. And my dad was, believe me, my dad was an ex, still is an excellent father. Mm -hmm. He did the he's done the best job he knew how. And I, I'm very thankful for that. But there wasn't a whole lot of time for what we talked about. You know, he was under a lot of stress. He was under a lot of, uh, you know, do as much as you can with the daylight, you know, while you've got it. And, you know, there's a sense of that, that I'm, I'm glad I still have in me. I'm still glad I have that drive in me. But there's some things that I started to realize in myself. Like, so when I work, I work a full eight hour job at the hospital. Uh, 40 hours a week and you know sometimes I come home I'm I'm really tired like I'm just kind of sometimes just really mentally exhausted um, but used to I would think man I just gotta go I gotta you know I get home we got you know this herd of cows to take care of um, you know I got a million things I mean now I added a podcast to this a herd of children got four kids <laughs> right. uh, yeah exactly like all these things and um, but then I realized like I don't know I realized this just this last couple of weeks like I mean, over this last year, gradually, but I really realized, like, if I just take when I because I used to think, you know, I get home at four o'clock and boom, four o'clock, I got to be doing stuff on the farm. But I realized that if I just take 15, sometimes maybe even 30 minutes, sit down, you know, maybe even lay down on the bed. Today, it was standing around the kitchen bar, talking to my wife about whatever, you know, was going on. I'm a lot more I'm a lot nicer I'm a lot better person I'm a lot I can do and you know what you know guess what I still got things done around the farm and I mean it was raining it was raining here today um so we couldn't do much anyway but I still got stuff done yeah you know I mean I, I still got I still set out and I just feel like I'm just more aware of of when I'd sit down and actually do the things that my body, yeah. my mind is telling me to do that my natural impulses, my natural impulse is to rest yeah. and to just take a few minutes. But we were so scared. We're so scared that we're going to be lazy or uh, not get, you know, not be, not utilize the time to be the most productive that we can. And our society is so focused on, on on production that it's lost the efficiency of the machine that is us and it's really super important i think and it's really gotten lost and i think it's starting to kind of turn the other way i think people are starting to realize that however slowly um but if i can realize it from my upbringing from my family Lots of people can because we are, I mean, we're a family of hard workers. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone, every person in my family is an, an incredibly hard worker. And, you know, that's important. It's important to work hard, but it's also important to take care of yourself. I've seen to, to that, be that, that pattern of the, you know, overworking, I guess we'll call it, and um, mm-hmm. focus on production and achievement and like working almost to the point of that it's almost inhumane. Like if we really break it down, a lot of people are working themselves to the bone in that way. And, and so, you know, if you keep going like that, it's, you know, you can kind of go numb. You're just like kind of on autopilot. You're just doing the deal. And that's sometimes why people are doing it. It's like, there's, 
there we're working against something, some belief that we're not good enough. And what I've seen happen, and I've seen it in all kinds of clients. So I, I get the privilege of working with all walks of life and first responders and doctors and university people, corporate people, horse trainers, people from, from all walks of life. And when something happens that slows us down and like, let's say your body breaks down and you can't do the physical work that you were doing, or you get sick and you're, you can't do your job for a while. That's where a lot of times you'll start to see some of the underlying things like the depression or anxiety or mental health things where if the only thing that you were riding on was your purpose of being a hard worker and that's taken away, you're kind of screwed. And so we, we really like it, you know, and you're lonely because if you haven't really been building any relationships and you take away the work, there's nothing. There's, there's like, what right. do you have? So it'll right. happen for people either in retirement or because of an accident or an injury or um, an illness or a layoff or something like that. And, you know, I think that's what's happened a lot right now with this whole global shutdown sure. is you're seeing people's underlying, like, I don't know what, how to sit with myself and I'm very uncomfortable with that. And that's where you'll start to see underlying mental health stuff that's always been there, but it's been masked with all of the work. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we've heard stories. I mean, I know I have of, of a couple of different instances of some um, some marriages just falling apart because mm -hmm. there was not that self-care or that, that relationship. You know, it was kind of like almost healed over, almost like a proud flesh, you know, when you yeah. talk about it, to compare it to something with horses. It's just scar tissue. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, once it was we kind of this shutdown kind of like tore that open a little bit or not a little bit, a lot in some cases and it kind of exposed that. So, I mean, it, it it's really, you know, we can go along, go with the motions on this well-oiled machine, but when that machine stops or there's something broken in it, um, then you're forced to, you know, really do some self reflection and do some things that maybe have been put off or ignored for a while yeah that's when the problems come in. And we're seeing that yeah. a lot right now. Um, I think it's a very timely conversation you and I are having because mm -hmm. uh, that, I mean, it's definitely happening. Yeah, I think so. that's right. It's, yeah, I've seen a lot of that, like the, you know, we haven't been taking care of ourselves and all of a sudden it's right in your face or you haven't been taking care of your relationships and either the lack of relationship or the injuries in the relationship are right there. Right. And or you haven't been taking care of the parenting or, you know, kind of how families run and all of a sudden you can't run away from home. Yeah. So yeah, you're, there you are, yeah. wherever yeah. you go, you find yourself and kind of all of those close relationships right there. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, there's right there in your face. There's no running away from it. So I want to, and I want to give this enough time. I know we're, we're running long and it doesn't feel like we've been running long, but that's because this has been a great conversation. Oh, and, I know it has. I, I want to talk about this because, and I, I'm going to preface this because we're, we're, we talked about something and we're going to talk about your personal journey and then I'm, I'm mm -hmm. going to kind of relay mine and that's with alcohol. I 
you, you and I had a conversation when we first talked mm-hmm. last week about alcohol and you said something to me. And when I was talking about how I quit alcohol because it was my main uh, stress relief, it was my main source of medicating my anxiety. Um, and in, you know, I, I quit that. And then you asked me, I said, are you sober now? And I never, like that's, I've never thought of myself that way as being quote unquote sober. But in reality, that's exactly what I am. And I'm, and it, like, <laughs> I, it hit me really hard, hit me a lot harder than a lot of things have in a really long time. And I'm thankful for that because it helped me see that sobriety is something that is essential to my growth. And so I want to talk about your, uh, your journey with that and, you know, kind of how that's helped shaped you as a person. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that question had that impact. So thanks for sharing that. I, yeah, yeah. it did. I mean, it's, I know it seems simple, but like, I never thought of it. Yeah. Nobody's ever said it that way to me. I think there's one thing to quit drinking. And I certainly did that many times because I had so many problems drinking. Like I just couldn't, I just didn't drink well. I mean, I, I, I drank a lot. I, I drank all different. Mm-hmm. I, I tried lots of different ways of making alcohol work for me, but I mm-hmm. always ended up in trouble with it. And, and I, I, and so I went through periods where I would stop drinking and have like physical sobriety, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't really ever understand my relationship with alcohol until I actually got sober where I actually got help and, and got into recovery to understand my journey with it and why I started drinking and, you know, what happened and that, that light that we were talking about that, like, mm-hmm. that is dim in us. Like it was very bright for me as a child, but I think when we live in a really insensitive world and we don't have any coping skills and I definitely Mm -hmm. am prone to anxiety and depression, like that combination, Mm -hmm. when I first found alcohol, I was like, this is it. Mm -hmm. This helps me. This helps me Mm -hmm. exist. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't really know that that was my relationship with alcohol until I actually got into conversation with other people who were sober and listened to their stories. And they asked me questions about my relationship with it. So I could start to understand, like I had a journey with, it's so funny. It's like, if it were like French fries, it would be like so silly. It's like the drink. Right. But yet it's still, it had like a hold on me. And so it, you know, I, when I finally got sober, I had physical sobriety, but I started actually working on my emotional sobriety and my spiritual sobriety and my relational sobriety. And I started like you, we were taught, you were using the word, or you were talking about like that nature, like that state of nature, our nature state. Mm-hmm. And we were, we used the term mm-hmm. like restoration, like recovery. Mm-hmm. It, it a lot has allowed me because I still do work on my recovery every day. It has allowed me to, to continue restoring and recovering that true self and and have tools for living in the world with it without wanting to run from everything I'm afraid of or ev- any feeling I have because that's how I was living. I was just running, running from everything. And so, yeah, so, so, so you know, I couldn't, 
I became a therapist. I've been sober for almost 12 years. Um, I'll have 12 years in September, but I, I was already a therapist and I had done so much work on myself, but there was this whole other layer that I didn't really let anyone in. And I certainly didn't go there myself. And it was like this, I was like bubble wrapped. And, um, and the greatest way to be bubble wrapped is to be a helper so that it can always be about you. And so (laughs) I was like, those were my go-to things. Like my drink of choice was other people and alcohol. Like those, those were the ways I could not have to deal with myself. So I certainly became a much better therapist once I got sober and really, um, I mean, I, it kicked it into another gear and it deepened just my work and my ability to help other people. But it's, I mean, it's changed everything about me and, Mm -hmm. and continues to. So I, I think we have a lot of ways of numbing and I think we have to look at what's going on in our lives that we feel like we need to numb and what are we running from? And no, you're you're absolutely right. And thank you for sharing your your journey there yeah. because it's not one that's a lot of people are comfortable with with confronting. And maybe there's some people listening right now who have, you know, kind of that similar kind of dependency on that. And I know I did. And because for me, it was it was normal. And I think for a lot of people, it's normal because, you know, you see, you see the commercials on TV, and it's associated with everything we're doing. And, um, you know, it's it's glorified. And, and I'm not going to say that, you know, it's not fun, because it is. I mean, it is, it can be really fun to drink. And now it's not fun to get be you know, totally belligerent, drunk, not blackout. I mean, that's, but, you know, to have it, but like, but what are you, what are you masking? What do you, you know, and I, I, I talk about this a lot of things, you know, being a pharmacist, uh, you know, a lot of meds mask an, an underlying problem. And to me, it's more important to try and get at the root cause of that than it is yeah. to actually put a Band-Aid on it and uh, kind of nurse it. And that's kind of what I felt like. And that was the way it was for me. Mine started in college when I was in uh, school, got hard. I moved to the city. I wasn't used to it. And, you know, mm-hmm. everything, like my whole world changed. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to cope with it. And so alcohol was what I turned to because I thought like, oh, this relaxed I feel good. You know, I don't have to worry about stuff when I drink. You know, it's not something a big deal. And, you know, I wasn't I wasn't then an alcoholic, but I was well on my way to it. I mean, I know I was. Now especially I know I was. And, you know, thankfully my I met my wife and it was I mean it was it it was the the reason I stopped was to make our marriage work. I joined the church that we are currently a part of, um, that was a, that was a, I mean, that was a must for me to, to quit drinking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was, that was hard, especially when it was, you know, you go around people, you go around friends who have seen you this way for a long time and it was just natural. And, you know, you tell them you don't, you know, you're not drinking anymore. And, you know, like, you know, what, you never had a problem, you know, because they didn't see it that way. They didn't know what I was doing with it. They didn't know what I was going through. I mean, I wasn't going through anything absolutely life shattering, but well, I mean, 
some, I guess, it, honestly, some of the things were, I mean, transitions in life, you know, I, my first, yeah, and my, uh, and at, toward the end of it, when I was drinking, I had a first marriage end, which probably a lot of people listening to this podcast had no idea about, cause I haven't <laughs> talked about it a lot. Um, you know, that was, so, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of things and I'll, my thing to go to was alcohol and it, yeah. it really, um, it made me feel good, but it wasn't taking care of the problem. And, you know, I had a, I had a pastor one time tell me, it was like, you know, when you do these things, these things that make you feel good for a little bit, it's kind of like putting, it's kind of like licking your lips when you're, when your lips are chapped, you know, it, it feels good for a little while, but it just keeps making it worse because it keeps drying out and keeps, you know, keeps making it worse. But you know, what you really need is to put chapstick on and putting chapstick on is, the work that I did on myself is, yeah. you know, getting in touch and, 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 and understanding my feelings, which I know it sounds so weird. It sounds like a, like a very, <laughs> and, you know, 10 years ago, that p- person hearing me say that now is like, well, who is this guy? But, you know, because, <laughs> but that, that was, you know, the, the pressures yeah. that I was feeling were real and not running away from them anymore and not hiding from them anymore. I mean, it got worse before it got better, I think. And I think that's yeah. what people oh, are yeah. scared of is, you know, we're going to put this drink down. We're going to put something down, or whatever it may be. We're whatever gonna, it is. Whatever yep. it is. I mean, it's not necessarily, I mean, whatever it is. Uh, I just, we, you and I are talking about alcohol because that's, we both dealt with that. And we're, we're afraid of what, it, you know, the comp, what we're going to have to confront on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it got worse for me for a while. It was really hard. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, what you're describing is that you, when you drink, it changed the way that you felt. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people that use alcohol in that way, like, and I certainly drank because I liked the way it made me feel. And I, I was... And I didn't like the way I felt without it. Right, right. I didn't, you know, I was never, um, actually, it's not true. There was a period where I was drinking every day, but I, there are so many different periods in my life, in my journey with alcohol, that there were, towards the end, I was, I wasn't drinking every day, but I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was trying not to, right. you know, I wanted to, because I wanted to change how I felt. The problem is, well, there's a lot of problems, but the, <laughs> the main problem that comes to mind right now is that we never learn. We never develop the skills of how to walk through life if what we're doing is either white knuckling until we can have the next drink or just changing how we feel with a substance. And so, I mean, I learned when I got sober that like I was lacking some serious skills around how to just take care of myself. And I was like a grown ass woman with multiple degrees and a professional career in therapy. <laughs> like, <that. laughs> And I had to like call people that were, you know, in my recovery group, like every day to talk about like basic stuff because I was, I really had never slowed down enough to ask myself, like, how am I going to do today so that I don't want to drink and that I don't feel crazy? And, you know, I didn't know how to do it. I I grew up in the mushroom manor with, you know, (laughs) everybody was numbed out and on drugs, like, Uh you know, and I, I didn't, it wasn't modeled for me and it's not taught in school. Like, how do you take care of your insides? (laughs) Right. I know. I know it's not. And, you know, you would think and, but 
we just we're just not granted i this is something i think needs to change across the board and i think in the home is the place where people need to do yeah. that yeah you obviously weren't i wasn't either yeah. just because we just weren't it's just not something we for right. some reason we lost that and yeah. we're finding out now what can happen when you don't it's dangerous and uh, it's my hope that this is the generation where that changes and you Carrie and I are my wife and I are are being very uh, what intentional is the word I'm looking for sorry of not of how we teach our boys but also how yeah. we how we do it ourselves you yeah. know how we interact with one another and how we do that taking care of ourselves. I, I keep wanting to say self-care, yeah. but you know, I, I know, know. <laughs> you know, you've got me, you got me, you got me uh, kind of gun shy on saying, which is good. I think because I do think there's some negative connotations that come with that. There are. Yeah. But uh, there are, I, I mean, I think what, like in our home lives, like when you're raising kids, you know, more intentionally, like you are like, I have a daughter who's nine and she's never seen me drink. My husband's also in recovery and he's been, hasn't had a drink in 17 years. And you know, we were really open about, you know, being a human is hard and the world is stressful. And so we have to talk about how we take care of ourselves every day and what do we need? You know, do you need friendship time? Do you need alone time? Really basic stuff. Do you need a break? Are you bored? Right. But we just have those conversations very openly so that her taking care of herself and voicing that is just part of what she does. Right. And that's the feedback I've gotten from every teacher she's had, which is like, she's very verbal about taking care of herself. <laughs> I'm like, good. good. If there's one thing I have to teach her, it's that because that's all she needs. That's all. The rest of it's improv. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's good. And like, so here's another thing that, you know, it just popped into my mind where I was talking, like we talk about the kids and how we, you know, I used to be that dad that would tell my kids, you know, my boy, especially, you know, I grow up boys, you know, it's a lot of masculine energy running around, but yeah. like you see your boy cry and it's always, don't you cry. Don't you dare cry, you know, because that's a s sign of weakness. But Lately, I've been finding that not not doing that anymore because mm -hmm. if that's what makes him feel better, if that is what I, I want to I'm talking about because I have this one, my one son in particular, I, I focus on him because he is me. He mm -hmm. we like we are we're like on the level because he he's I see myself in him so much and I see like I just see his emotions we're both super high energy really emotional people and you know I see him crying I used to like I said I used to say don't cry don't cry that's not you know you shouldn't cry about that but now I find myself it's okay to cry if you need to cry but yeah. don't you know don't dwell on it right just get out get it out that's okay yeah. you know it's and I, I don't know why that really popped in my mind, but I think it's just talking about emotional intelligence and helping helping our kids realize that that um, just because the world wants you to do or tells you to do one thing or society tells you to do one thing, um, that's not always necessarily the right thing. You need to be in touch with yourself and know what yeah. you yourself needs. 
Absolutely. I think a lot of times, like, I mean, there are times where my daughter cries and I can actually feel the urge to say that. Mm -hmm. And I'm don't believe in that statement. I don't say it, but I can feel it come up Mm -hmm. where I'm like, Oh no, don't even start. (laughs) And it's because (laughs) I don't want to have to parent it. I don't, or I don't have time or I'm in the middle of something and I don't like, it's about me. It's not about, right. it's like, could you please stop your feelings? Cause it's an inconvenience for me right now. <laughs> and I actually think that a lot of that, like that don't cry stuff when I see it, 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 other people do it. I there, and I just observe it and like, not in a judgmental way at all, but like what's happening uh-huh. is usually other people's anxiety about, I don't know how to sit with this or fix it. And I, I don't, or I don't, no, I don't know what to do. And so it, and so I want it to stop <laughs> because I don't know what to do. And so we'll try to shut something down that we're uncomfortable with. But I mean, it, I, over and over again, the more, like uh, the more we're just open to it and, and allow space for that to happen, the quicker actually, I and mean, it's back to this idea if you just slow down and let it happen, it's way more efficient. Right. I learned that 30,000 times from my animals, like you're upset about something because all mammals are emotional beings. Sure. Period. Sure. So of course, They're not, little boys natural. are too. Yeah. Of course, little boys are too. But if we try to shut it down, it actually just lasts longer and creates all the, it, like it has to go somewhere and ends up, you know, stuffing our feelings isn't good for us. So, but yeah, the animals have shown me that over and over again. They're like, it ends up being a bigger meltdown than than if we just support it right. versus suppress it. Right, right. Yeah. So like, I feel like we, like, I feel like we've come full circle here, like yeah. all the way back. It always comes back to being more in touch with nature and letting nature happen. And it's a, it's an incredible lesson for all of us to, and I think if that's the one thing that people get out of this conversation here tonight is don't fight nature. I mean, that's, that's, that's applicable to, to all facts of life, all walks of life. I mean, that's, that is really, really a powerful way to think because if you, if you fight nature, if you fight the way it's supposed to be, it's going to fight you back even harder. It is, it is a resilient mother. I mean, it is. I I think what, um, that like for a lot of your listeners that do have, you know, that coming from more of a connection to agriculture and the land and animals, you have a lot of, I should just say we, cause I'm part of that world too, but like we have a lot more connection to the instincts of animals and sure. have done a lot of observing and learning from being around working and living with animals and the land. And so oftentimes I would say 90% of the time now when I don't, where I'm stuck with something, I don't know what to do. I will just ask myself like, well, what happens and what do other animals do? What does nature do? I just look to, I'm like the, the way that humans have overcomplicated very simple things Mm -hmm. actually trips us up. Mm -hmm. And so I will look for the lesson that's already there and that will give me the direction that I need and around a a human problem, Mm -hmm. you know, what's Mm -hmm. the human problem? I'm like, well, where does that show up in the world of nature and animals? And then I know the answer. Sure. Yeah. It's such a relief because it's like, it's just, it's this very simple 
a, just a simple tool. And I think when, especially for people that already have that connection, to be able to apply that to our human to human lives, that's sometimes the only bridge that people need is, oh my God, I just hadn't thought about bringing this into my own, my own human life. And so even better news, if you've already been making a life with animals in the land, you've got, you, you know, you're like ahead of the clients that show up at my ranch. Right. And, yeah. You know, don't, you know, are completely confused yes. and out of their element. Yes. We're so, we're to, to, to live that life is you're so fortunate because yeah. you are, you're step ahead. You know, if you, if you, if you really sit down and think about it, if you, yep. you know, you are, you're a step ahead of the game because oh, yeah. you're in, you know, I mean, I'm here right now and I'm looking out this window and it's on, it's on pastures, it's on Ozark pastures where, you know, it's, there's not a, there's not concrete to be found other than, mm -hmm. you know, the, the thousand, few thousand square foot of my house. But like, it's just so, it's like to be able to just sit there and, understand like you know this is this is pretty natural you know the way things are i mean that's it's just beautiful to see and um it helps you again it comes back to your your ability to help people self-reflect yeah so well beth i really appreciate it. we've this has been an incredible conversation in fact i think it's probably the longest one I've ever had on the podcast. But oh, what an honor. It's, I mean, I, and, but believe me, I feel like we could go on here all night um, because there's some, we're, and I, I feel like we're going to talk again, maybe about, so. about more specific subjects because it was, I really, it's been an honor to know you oh, just in this little you. short time because you helped me realize something about myself. Uh, when it when wow. it talks about uh, my when I talk about my sobriety and the work that I've done for myself and I'm it, it helped me be very satisfied with that so thank you for that you're you're taking more ownership of that work that's what I'm hearing is that like the question that I asked you helped you take more ownership and identity around that work that you have done and it's a huge resource that you have and a strength and like you more firmly planted your feet on it. And that's, well, thank, that is, thank uh, you. I think you're going to like how that feels. It does. I do. I've already like, it's been huge for me just in this last week or so, since we talked the first time, it's just been like a, it's like an epiphany to me. So it's wow. been good. I, it's, it, it was, it was essential to my growth to, um, to hear that and to have that frame of mind. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this. I, you're, what you're doing with this podcast and, and the audience that you have is I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited to be able to be part of the conversation and yeah, it's just, it's really an honor to me it, too. It takes, it takes all kinds of yeah. people to do this work because it's, um, you know, it's needed. It's so needed. The rural mental health, the, the disparity there is, is real. It's oh, yeah. real. And, um, we're seeing it, uh, you know, just when I think things are maybe getting better, something happens and, um, you know, helps us realize that the work we're doing is still important. So, uh, I, I appreciate you being willing to share your story and, you know, share what you're doing. Um, I always want, I want to give it people an opportunity where to find you online. Sure. To share um, that. The circle up experience.com. That's the, um, 
the website and that's the name of my business is the circle up experience. And my ranch is called take a chance ranch and it's in Morgan Hill, California. And you can find me on all the, all the usual places, the social media, Facebook and Instagram sure, and then the website. Sure. Sure. And I love to hear from people. So anytime people have awesome. questions cool. or comments or anything, I, I really love just creating more relationship and community. So awesome. Well, cool. Well, yeah. we'll link all that in the show notes. So okay. people will make it easy for people to, uh, to get a hold of you if they thank want to, you. or just to follow you. So, all right. Well, thank thanks you again so for this, much. this awesome really conversation. I really appreciate it. All right. All right. Well, great. Awesome. Bye-bye. Have a good night. You too. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.